Good morning. Happy New Year. Thank you very much. Welcome to church. Uh, my name is Gary Anderson. I serve as the pastor here at Midtown Fellowship Granny White. So great to be with you all. Welcome back. Uh, first time we've been together for 2024. Uh, he's not in this service, but I do just want to acknowledge and say thank you to one of our elders, Michael Gilbert, who brought the word last week. If you were here, you know that was a fantastic... Come on. Yep. Like you mean it. Like you mean it. There we go. I will... I will report to him uh, what a fantastic applause he got in the second service. Uh, I personally am super grateful for him uh, stepping in and sharing what God laid on his heart. Um, We are kicking off this morning a short uh, three-week January series uh, on vision. So I'm going to do my best over the next three weeks to just cast a little bit of vision for our church uh, and for this year. And I would actually say, no, I will say like a ton of times, Uh, over the next 25 or 30 minutes, more than just this year, but particularly as we head into this year. And uh, we're going to root, I'm going to base all three sermons uh, from the book of Acts chapter 4, or the chapter from the book of Acts chapter 4. So this is what we're going to read together this morning. Acts chapter 4, it's going to be verses 1 through 31, which is a big chunk but it's God's word. So like we can just go and go and go with that bad boy. Uh, And my friend Justin Hips is going to come and read that for us. So please welcome Justin. Like you mean it. Like you mean it. Okay. Again, that's Acts chapter 4, 1 through 31. Acts 4, 1 through 31. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. For it was already evening, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. And the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. When Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all were of the high priestly family, And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, And who who you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders who has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave, the council conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what he has seen and heard. 
And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God and for what had happened. For the, for the man at whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported uh, what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together and to God saying, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your body, from the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Thanks, Justin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, let me pray and uh, invite God to implant his word in our hearts, and then uh, we'll get going. God, we thank you again for this day and this time. We pray now as we come to your word that you would quiet our hearts. God, as we sit here at the, uh, on the precipice of a, another turning of the calendar, a new year, uh, I pray that you would help us even on this first Sunday of the year. Um, pray that you would draw our hearts and our minds and our vision uh, to the things that really matter. I pray that you would um, give us a hope and a future through what we study today. Uh, and I pray that you would um, not let us leave this place unchanged because we have had an encounter with you. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, in 1903, a, I was going to say a young man was born, but he would have been born a baby. Uh, a baby was born uh, who was named Clyde Beatty, uh, and he was born in the south-central Ohio town of Bainbridge. Now, before we go any further, uh, you can just know that he's from Ohio, so something good is coming uh, as we move through this story. Thank you very much. Uh, when Clyde was 18 years old uh, in 1921, he and a friend of his jumped onto a boxcar of a train that was rolling through their town, which took them to Washington Courthouse, Ohio, where he and his friend joined the circus. Clyde was hired uh, as a cage cleaner which I have never done, but I can only imagine is as glamorous as it sounds. Over the next 40 years, Clyde Beatty rose through the ranks of the circus to become one of the most well-known circus performers and animal trainers, not just in the U.S., but in the whole world. Uh, by the time he was done with his career, he had his own circus, he had a syndicated radio show, and he was performing on television for such shows as The Ed Sullivan Show which I have never seen, but I'm sure is very impressive and a big deal to be invited to perform on it. Uh, what might have been, well, Clyde Beatty was famous uh, for what was known as his fighting act. Uh, in, the, in the times of, uh, when he was in the circus, the biggest act in the circus was the lion tamer. And Clyde Beatty became famous as a, uh, a lion and big cat tamer. He would invite multiples of lions and tigers and bears, oh my, <laughs> into the ring with him, and he would proceed to tame each and every one of them. And what was so remarkable about Clyde, Beatty, Clyde Beatty's career 
as a, uh, a lion tamer was the length. Uh, in a job where the on-the-job mortality rates were through the roof, Clyde Beatty spent 40 years uh, taming lions in the circus and actually died of cancer in his 60s. The reason Clyde Beatty had such a long and fruitful career, if you can call it that, as a lion tamer, is because of a chair. You see, up until the point that Clyde Beatty became a lion tamer, what most lion tamers in the circus used as their tools of the trade when in the ring with these cats of prey were guns, crowbars, and whips. And Clyde Beatty would be the first one to tell you, he said it in his own autobiography, he didn't invent using the chair in the ring. Others had done it before him, but he's probably the one who made it famous because he figured out that when you lift a chair in the face of a lion, it confuses the lion. You see, a lion or a big cat of prey can only focus on one thing at a time. And when it has the ends of four legs of a chair waving in its face, it becomes so confused, it doesn't know what to do, and so it doesn't do anything. It can only focus on one point at a time. And so even though these are harmless to it, little points on the end of a chair, it becomes so disoriented with these points of the legs of the chair waving in its face. It becomes so confused that it does not attack because it cannot find a single point to attack. Uh, I wonder, is there anyone in this church this morning who feels like a lion? Not like the big, aggressive king of the forest I mean, maybe you do, and that's awesome. You're, you're, you're winning this morning if that's how you feel. But is there anyone in here who feels uh, like sometimes, or maybe most times, life is holding up a chair in your face, and it is hard to discern what the most important things are? I see some heads nodding, and that encourages me, because in the first service, I was pretty sure I was the only one who felt like that. So thank you for coming along on this journey with me. And for many of us, uh, it doesn't feel like life is holding up a four-legged chair in our face. It feels like it's holding up a 100-legged chair in our face, which if you bought that at Restoration Hardware, would probably cost (laughs) $10,000. Life is complicated, right? There is just, I don't care whether you're in middle school or if you're high school, college, young adult, middle adult, old adult, I don't care where you are in life, life is complicated. There are a lot of things that we are trying to figure out. Relationships, work, school, athletics, planning for the future, doing what's supposed to be done right now. Life is complicated and it is really easy to see all of the things that are coming at us and get confused about what are the most important things. And I think that feels really tender in the moment that we find ourselves in this morning on the first Sunday of the year when we are like, I was gonna say knee deep in New Year's resolutions, but some of us, you know, we're seven days in, it's like those suckers are gone. They were gone four days ago, right? But, but we're coming into this season of the year where it's, I always think this is kind of funny, like all that changed were some numbers on a calendar, but it feels very heavy and very weighty and there's all this pre- I don't know if it's pressure, but yeah, some of us feel this pressure that like, this is the year that things have to change. This is, this is the year I got to figure out how to get the promotion at work. This is the year I got to figure out how to be a better husband, be a better wife. This is, how I, I, I got, this is the year I got to figure out how to be a better boyfriend or a better girlfriend. This is the year I got to find a husband or a wife or find a boyfriend or a girlfriend. This is the year I need to be the dad I'm supposed to be. This is the year I'm supposed to be the mom I'm supposed to be. This is the year I got to lose weight. This is the year I got to gain weight. This is the year we got to go on all of it. Like, are you feeling that at all in this moment? Life is complicated. 
And if I can, um, if I can just be, a, not a little bit, if I can be very transparent with you all this morning, I feel it too. And partly that's why I want to preach the message that I'm preaching this morning, because I need this as much as anybody in this room. Uh, I have stepped into, in this church, a very unique place. Uh, I know this, like the transition happened in September, uh, and if we hadn't been in a series in Revelation at that time, I would not have complained about that, but we were. This is, this is probably what I would have preached those first couple weeks after that transition service in September. Um, and then I probably just would have preached it again in the first couple weeks of January. So no love lost. We're going to get to it today. But I, we are in a season of change in this church. We're in a big season of change in this church. And it is not a small thing. And I'm not looking for your sympathy here, though I will take it if you want to give it. It is not a small thing to follow the founding pastor of 23 years who is beloved and who actually is still at the organization after I have taken over this role. I, I feel, I was going to say most days, I feel like almost every day, like there is a chair being waved in my face with a hundred different things on it, and it is hard for me to figure out what is the most important thing. Here's what's cool, I think, about what we're going to talk about this morning. I think as you think about your life and 2024 and what kind of hopes and dreams and changes you might hope to see this year, and as I think about this place and this church and our, our family in this church and where this church is going, what God would have for this church, when I think about the question, what is the most important thing, I think the answer is the same for all of us. And so that's what I want to lean into today. I want to do my best this morning to just cast a little bit of vision for what I think God has laid on my heart for this community for 2024, but not just for 2024, for as many years as God would have me in this role. Uh, this is a little bit going to be Vision 2024 and also Pastor Gary's pastoral manifesto for whatever length of time God allows him to be here at Midtown Fellowship, Granny White. I want to root it in Acts chapter 4 as we just read, uh, and, and here's what I want to preach from today. I want to preach from the idea. I want to, I want to lean into the idea this morning. I want to I want to raise up the theme before you this morning of this. Jesus over everything. Jesus over everything. Uh, as we come to the text, we have picked it up partway. So really, Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 kind of go together. And for us to understand where I'm drawn out, look, Jesus over everything is not, is that, that's the theme of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Rome, all the way, whole New Testament. And so to say like Acts chapter four is the, really the place where you get it, it we're going to see it in here, but it's the theme of basically all of the New Testament and you can make an argument all of scripture. But I want us to have some idea of the context of what we've entered into in Acts chapter four, because I, help, I think it helps us draw out that really, at least through these first few chapters of Acts, what, what the theme is that just keeps coming over and over again is that Jesus has so radically transformed the lives of his followers, that he now supersedes everything, every area, every decision, every, every part of their life. Jesus is over everything. So as we come to Acts, it's on the heels of the four gospels, which are the stories of what Jesus did while he was here on earth. Acts is the story of what Jesus continued to do after he ascended to the Father and sent his Holy Spirit and continued to work here on the earth. At the beginning of the book of Acts, the disciples have seen the resurrected Jesus. They're with him. They watch him ascend into heaven. Uh, a few sh days later, uh, the Holy Spirit descends on them just as Jesus promised he would send the helper. The Holy Spirit descends on them in what looks like tongues of fire. And so Jesus' disciples, his followers, as we come into the book of Acts, are both literally and figuratively 
effectively set on fire for Jesus. As we come to Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, two of his disciples, are going up to the temple. And as they come to the temple, there is a man sitting at the entrance to the temple who is disabled. He's 40 years old, which I love that line. I don't know if you caught that in there. They were amazed because he was over 40 years old. It's like if you're 39, Jesus can do all kinds of miracles in your life. But you get to 40 and wow, that's something impressive. (laughs) So uh, he's been disabled for, for his whole life. And he's been begging at the temple and Peter and John come by him and he's looking for them to give him something. And a lot of you know this story because we sang a song about it when we were growing up in church. If you grew up in church and they say, we don't have any silver and gold, but we'll give you what we have. And Peter's like, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And the guy gets up and he's healed. And he continues with Peter and John into the temple. And how does he go? He's walking and leaping and praising. Nobody? Seriously? We'll We'll have Kevin sing it next week. And because this guy who had been disabled for 40 years is walking and leaping and praising God and all the people recognize him, a crowd forms. And Peter and John take that opportunity with this crowd in front of them, a captive audience, to to give a little sermon about what happened to this guy and who Jesus is. And as they're preaching that sermon in the temple with this crowd around, here come the leaders of the the Jewish people, the the chief priests and uh, what we would call the Sanhedrin, and they're annoyed. I love that in verse two. And they come to Peter and John, they take them, they arrest them, put them in jail. We'll get to the rest of that. And we just, Justin just read that. But here's the the overarching theme of of Acts chapter three and Acts chapter four. And it is this. It is that their time with Jesus for these disciples has so transformed who they are has so changed who they are, has so transformed their outlook on life that now Jesus is over everything. And we see that in various ways as we work through this text. And so like we could draw out probably a hundred of these, but I just want to rip through a couple of them. Jesus is over their money. Like he's greater than money for them. And that's, that's in chapter three, verse six. The, the crippled guy is looking for, the, the disabled guy is looking for, for money from them. And, and what does Peter say to them? Him. I have no silver and gold. Why? Because Jesus is better than silver and gold. He says, but what, do I, what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Jesus was better than money for them. Not only was Jesus better than money, Jesus was better than social acceptance. So when we get to chapter four and they're speaking to the people and then the, the, the captain of the temple and the priest and the Sadducees, he says, came upon them. Verse two, greatly annoyed. They had annoyed the most powerful people in their culture. That was going to hurt their social standing. Not only is Jesus over their social standing, Jesus is over their safety and their security. Verse three, they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. They put them in jail. I have never been to jail. I know secondhand. It is not a safe place. That's not, that's not the place I want to go. But Jesus was more important to them than whether or not they had their safety and security. Jesus was over their reputation. Verses five to seven talk about how this, the literal most powerful men in their society brought them in front of them and they're angry at them. And I'm just gonna tell you right now, that was going to hurt their reputation with their friends and family in the town that they were in. And not only that, and maybe the most um, powerful evidence of what Jesus is greater than or Jesus is over than is that after they ask them by, in verse seven, by what power or by what, by what name did you do this? Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter, who like 50 days ago was saying to people, I don't even know who Jesus is. Like, don't, I didn't, I don't know that guy. He goes in in front of the most powerful men in his world 
and he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Because why? Because Jesus is over fear. Because Jesus was greater than their fear. Jesus, over and over again, we see in Acts chapter 3 and through Acts chapter 4, Jesus was over everything. He had so transformed them. He had so marked their lives that everything in their lives now were subservient to Jesus Christ. It was for them, Jesus over everything. A uh, number of years ago, actually I can name it, 14 years ago, uh, I, I was invited to be in a wedding party for a wedding that was taking place in Hawaii. And so uh, Beth was pregnant with our first child and we decided to make a vacation out of it uh, since we were spending the money to go all the way to the Hawaiian Islands. And it was a blast and I highly recommend it. And I haven't been back since, but someday hopefully. Uh, One of the things, we did a fair amount of sightseeing while we were there. One of the places that we went to when we were on the big island of Hawaii uh, is a little stretch of beach on the western shore of the big island of Hawaii, just south of the town of Kona. And I can't, I can't tell you what it's called in Hawaiian. I can't pronounce it. But in English, it's called the City of Refuge. And again, it's this little stretch of beach with a volcanic rock wall that surrounds it all the way from, from shore to shore. And it has been there for hundreds of years. And what the City of Refuge functioned as for the Hawaiians was a place where they could flee for safety if they had broken one of the Hawaiian ceremonial laws. So the, the, the Hawaiian uh, code was called kapu. And if you broke it, most of the punishments for that code, that social ceremonial code, most of the punishment, uh, punishments were capital. So if most of the punishments were the death penalty. But if you could make it, if you had intentionally or unintentionally broken one of those laws, if you could make it to the city of refuge, your life would be spared and you would be saved. It's actually very biblical. Some of you will know when God brought the Israelites into the promised land, he set up six cities as cities of refuge, where if they unintentionally broke the Mosaic law, if they could get to the city of refuge, they would be protected. It's actually an amazing parallel from a a non-Christian culture. But I just want us for a minute, if you just go with me for a minute, imagine that we are Hawaiians and we live in Hawaii. Wouldn't that be awesome? Imagine that you intentionally or unintentionally broke one of the, uh, the laws of your people and the punishment was death, though you could save your life if you only got to the city of refuge. What level of importance would getting to the city of refuge now take in your life? It, there is nothing else besides that. What your portfolio looks like in that moment means nothing to you. What things are like at work in that moment means nothing to you. What your bank account looks like, what, what your social calendar looks like, you will, you will get up as early as you need to get up. You will stay up as late as you need to stay up. You will run as far and as long and as fast as you possibly can. You will do anything to get to the city of refuge because if that is your protection, The city of refuge is over everything. And friends, I'm here to tell you today that we also have a city of refuge. And it is not a stretch of beach on a North Pacific island. It is a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. 
And in him, we find fulfilled every hope, desire, and longing of our hearts. And though the world around us throws so many things at us, it holds up so many chairs in our faces saying, this is what you should focus on. This is what you need. This is what will fulfill you. This is what will make you happy. They all overpromise and underdeliver because there is only one that will totally and fully and finally fulfill us, and that is Jesus. He's over everything. Everything in life is subservient to him. And if we are going to be the people that he has called us to be, if we are going to be the kind of church that he has called us to be, the note that I want played just over and over and over and over again here at Midtown Fellowship, Granny White, in 2024 and as far on beyond as we can is this. It is Jesus over everything. You want a successful 2024? Spend it with Jesus. We want to we be the kind of church that God has called us to be. We got to run hard to our city of refuge, which is Jesus. This is what I want us to be marked by. I want us to be known as a place where Jesus is over everything. Why do I want that? Because being with Jesus changes everything. Being with Jesus changes everything. And that's what we see in verse 13. And this is uh, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. This is what it says. The, the Sanhedrin, the same group that, that just like month and a half ago brought Jesus in front of them and condemned him to death, now bring Peter and John in front of them and start asking them the same question. Peter, verse eight, filled with the Holy Spirit, just lays out the good news and the exclusivity and the offense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he finishes talking and look at what it says in verse 13 about these, uh, the most powerful men in ancient Judaism. It says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, They were astonished. Why? Because they recognized that they had been with Jesus. When we are with Jesus, it is obvious to other people. Look, I know a lot of us know the story of Peter and John. Like, were they really impressive, really high social standing, really, like, accomplished men? They were nobodies. They were fishermen from the country. They, they, they brought nothing to the table. They had no education. They were trained under nobody special. They had no uh, training in like speaking. I was going to say oration, oratory. They didn't have oratory skills. They were nobodies. In fact, like I just said, like a month and a half ago, Peter's running around saying, I don't even know who Jesus is. Like, don't, don't, don't lump me up with him. And now he's preaching impromptu sermons in the temple to all these crowds that are gathering. And, and uh, the, this, the leaders are so impressed because of their boldness. And then it says they perceived that they were uneducated common men. And I love this. So uneducated, the Greek word for that is agramatos. Now, I'm not a Greek speaker, so forgive the pronunciation, but the a prefix is the same way we use it. It means without or not. Like asymptomatic means without symptoms. So a grammatos, grammar, you like, see, see, like they were, it literally means they were without letters or, or kind of illiterate. Now, were they, were they literally illiterate? I'm not sure. Thank you. But when you get figuratively, they were uneducated, Right? So they were uneducated. And then the word that uh, the ESV translates as common, 
This is so good. I have, I have preached this passage before, and I did not know this until this week. The Greek word that's translated common, idiotes. <laughs> not making it up. Which we get our English word genius from. <laughs> no, we get our... We get, the, Bible, the Bible says that, that the, uh, the chief priests and the rulers of the temple and the rulers of the Jews looked at Peter and John and said, these are illiterate idiots. And they were astonished. Why? Because they could tell they had been with Jesus. Jesus is over everything for us. Because any change we hope for, anything we hope for our lives, any difference we want to see in ourselves or in our community, it all starts and ends with him. When we are with Jesus, people can tell. When we have been with Jesus, the world will be able to tell. And that is my longing for myself, and it is my longing for this church. When you are with Jesus, people can tell. When I have spent time with Jesus, People can tell. I have a love-hate relationship with onions. Come on. Uh, I love them. They're delicious, and they add a lot of flavor to food, and I I really enjoy, for the most part, uh, like not so much a raw one like an apple. I wouldn't do that, but I, I appreciate and enjoy onions. But there is something in my biological chemistry that does not do well with onions. Um, to the point that, and this is, uh, this, is, I'm not, this is true, this is not preacher speak. Back in my business days, uh, I could go on a work trip and take some clients out to dinner at night and let's say there were some onions in that meal, you know, didn't intend for it, but they were there and I enjoyed it. Uh, I could go back to my hotel, brush and floss. I, reg- I floss regularly. Uh, I could get up the next morning brush my teeth again. I'd probably have a couple cups of coffee, which coffee does a pretty decent job of masking, you know, whatever's going on. Do meetings all day. I'd get home at the end of that day. So we're talking 24 hours later. I could walk in the door and my wife, she would recognize that I had been with onions. (laughs) Because I smelled like it. So I apologize to any of you if we ever meet and I have had onions, now you have been forewarned. It's why you see me chomping on so much gum. When I am with onions, it is obvious to other people. (laughs) And when I am with Jesus, it is also obvious to other people. When we are with Jesus, it is obvious to other people. That is why Jesus has to be over everything because here's the deal. I want to smell like Jesus. I want you to smell like Jesus. I want us collectively to smell like Jesus. And here's what's really hard about that. I am, I was going to say I'm afraid. I don't need to say I'm afraid. I know because I, it's my story. I will spend time with anything and everything besides Jesus. I will spend time with my phone. I will spend time with Apple News and well, Fox News and CNN I will spend time with YouTube. I'm being too transparent. We, we will spend time. <laughs> we'll spend time with weights and we'll spend time with golf and we'll spend time with our, our spouse or our boyfriend or our girlfriend or our kids. We will spend time with knitting. We will spend time with self-help books. We will spend time with anything and everything except Jesus. And we smell like it. 
and I smell like it. This is not, please do not hear me saying you all need to get your act together. The, part of the reason I want to talk about what I'm talking about this morning is because as I come into 2024, the, the, the burning thing on my heart personally is I need to spend more time with Jesus. I want to smell like Jesus. I want it to be obvious to people when they interact with me that that guy has been spending time with Jesus. And I'm afraid, like you all have been listening to me preach for several months now. It's like dumb and dumber quotes fall out of my mouth like there's no tomorrow, but it's like, you know, I got to look up chapter and verse if I want to quote some scripture. I, I need to spend time with Jesus because he is over everything. So here it is. Here's my vision. Here's my vision for this church for 2024 and not just for 2024, but for the whatever amount of time God will allow me to serve in this position in this place. And that is I want Jesus to be over everything. I want Jesus over everything so that the world outside of these four walls, when it bumps into us, is astonished that this group of illiterate, no, I'm not going to do you that way, <laughs> that this group of uneducated common women and men have clearly been spending time with Jesus. I'm going to say something now that might be a little bit, um, maybe not the right thing to say as the leader of a church. I hope this church grows. I, I believe so, I believe so wholeheartedly in what God is doing in the midst of Midtown Fellowship Granny White. I have been so impacted by it myself. I am desperate for the, the community outside of this church to experience what is happening here. I want Green Hills to experience it. I want Nashville to experience it. But here's the deal. If under my time here at Midtown Fellowship Granny White, we don't grow, I'm okay with that. Because that is not my job. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. And, and listen, if, if by every measure of worldly or churchly success, if, if our numbers go down, if our budget goes down, if our giving goes down, if like all of the metrics that you would point to to say that's a healthy and successful church, if we're negative on all of those, but Jesus is over everything and we are collectively running hard to him, if we are collectively reminding each other and encouraging each other and challenging each other that actually the most important thing is Jesus and we're gonna help each other run to him, if we are faithful, I am good with whatever else plays out from there. That is, I wanna, that is what I wanna see from this church. That is what I want this church to be. I want us to reek and I want us to reek not of onions, but I want us to reek of the sweet aroma of Jesus Christ because we have spent so much time with him and we have been transformed by him. So if 2024 is the year that you go to prison, but it's for the sake of Jesus Christ, I call that a successful year. If 2024 is the year that you lose everything, but you have Jesus, I call that a successful year. C.S. Lewis said one time, he who has Jesus and everything else has no more than he who has Jesus only. As long as God gives me breath to stand up here and talk with you all, may he allow it to only be Jesus, Jesus, and Jesus because Jesus is over everything. Now, I recognize um, that some of you might be sitting here thinking that feels a little bit simplistic that sounds good, uh, you know, for 
11.15 on a Sunday morning in the sanctuary, but does that really play out like day to day in my real life? And I hear that, but I'm just gonna gently uh, and humbly push back and say, I actually think it does. Uh, one of the great theologians of the last century was a German man named Karl Barth, and uh, he was a genius. His magnum opus was a, was a I was gonna call it, it's not a book, it's a four volume work called Church Dogmatics, which if you were to buy it today, would come in 13 books and is over 9,000 pages long. Not everyone agrees with his theology. He was a complicated man and wrestled with things in his personal life just like we all do. But there's no question, questioning his intellect and the way that he was able to um, describe and defend theological ideas and concepts that for most of us would make our heads spin. There's a story that goes, in 1962, he was giving a lecture uh, at the University of Chicago. And uh, this is a, it's a legend, you can't, can't be proven either way, but a number of people have said that it happened. Uh, as the story goes, during the Q&A session after his lecture, uh, one of the students at the University of Chicago asked Karl Barth if he could summarize his theology in one sentence. Guy who wrote 9,200 pages on theology. And he thought for a moment, and this is what he said. He said, yes, I can. He said, in the words of a song that I learned at my mother's knee when I was very young. He said, this is my theology. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Now, when they saw the boldness of Midtown Fellowship Granny White, and perceived that they were uneducated, common women and men, they were astonished because they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Jesus over everything. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would make that real to us. In some ways, uh, it sounds so nebulous and um, impossible but we know that through the power of your Holy Spirit, anything is possible. And so God, the prayer of my heart this morning with these, my friends, is that you would so work in our lives that you would allow us um, to not get distracted by the chairs that the world weighs in front of us, but that you would allow us individually and communally to be laser focused on one thing, and that is on the city of refuge, not the city of refuge that we have to go looking for, but the city of refuge, your son, Jesus Christ, who came looking for us and did for us what we could not do for ourselves and under whom all of life is subservient. God, may you empower us through the power of your Holy Spirit to live as if Jesus is over everything. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.